Greetings, this is Bart Berkey, CEO and founder of Most People Don't. We are a motivational storytelling company that encourages people to do what most people don't in order to differentiate themselves and also to deserve and obtain better results. Uh, welcome to the podcast. The podcast is called Most People Don't But You Do. It's filled with stories and conversations about the benefits received and the fulfillment enjoyed by doing. So excited to be able to talk to uh, a very good friend of mine, Linda Beltran. Um, Linda and I have known each other for several years going back to the hospitality world and I'll share a little bit about uh, when we first met. But currently she is with Hitachi and responsible for executive communications and social innovation business. And we will get to exactly what that means for, uh, for me and also for our listeners. But Linda, very excited to be able to chat with you. It's been a while. Yes, it's been a long time, but I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, Linda was very kind with her public relations communications and her writing ability. She was one of the first people that saw my draft of Most People Don't Book and Why You Should. And she also contributed to editing it. So for that, Linda, I am um, forever grateful. And I can't even believe that was like six years ago. I know. And so I was thinking about this yesterday. You and I, when I interviewed for the Ritz-Carlton Tokyo position, that was 2008. Mm -hmm. So here we are 13 years later. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Incredible. And as Linda was just referencing, I was a recruiter for sales and marketing for Ritz-Carlton and uh, came across Linda's information. And it was just a natural choice um, to, to hire her for the company. And how long did you spend in Tokyo? Just just shy of two and a half years. Very okay. life changing for me. I mean, I, I for anyone who's ever lived or visited Japan, uh, lived in, or visited Japan, um, it was the best life decision I made next to graduate from college. It just every day there is a, a rent. Well, oddly enough, now I work for Hitachi, a Japanese based company. But even before that, um, you know, there was a, a some semblance or rem, remnant of what I did there and the culture that stays with me on a daily basis. So I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, in, so in, I should have you to thank. Yeah, no, hey, okay, great. That's why this is the payback. You're, you're being <laughs> on our podcast. It's all good. Um, but you know, with your background going from hospitality now to um, corporate communications, can you tell us uh, how you got started? All right, in the communications world, in the hospitality world, can you kind of just give the listeners a, a quick summary of your background? And then we'll talk a little bit more about what you're doing today. Sure. Well, you know, oddly enough, I did start my career out of college in, in technology. And um, no, with no disrespect to my current employer, I did not find much um, enjoyment out of it. I was thinking, you know, I don't really care how a computer works. I just want it to work. And so I secretly, you know, this is going to date me, but I secretly started subscribing to the Sunday edition of the LA Times and I would circle the jobs and I would send out resumes and I ended up getting a position with a um, luxury travel PR agency. And so I moved to LA and was so fortunate, so, uh, so young in my career to work for global brands, the Dorchester in London, you know, the Bora Bora Lagoon Resort, um, you know, just the, Bel the Hotel Bel Air, just really luxury properties uh, on the agency side. And so I, I did agency work for six or seven years and then actually had the opportunity to go in-house with a hotel company in California, which is where I'm from and worked there for many years, six or seven years. And then ultimately 
um, experienced my first of what when has now been four layoffs in my professional career. And um, I've learned that, you know, it's always very difficult when someone tells you, we love what you're doing, but we can't have you here, you know, for economic reasons or layoffs or whatever. So um, picked, you know, picked myself up and ended up going to Southern California for a position with the Fairmont. Then also that position was eliminated. And then I went to Japan. So I've been able to, you know, take my lemons and make my lemonade. And, you know, when I was looking for my Ritz-Carlton job or what would become my Ritz-Carlton job, I was told on a number of occasions I didn't have true luxury experience. I didn't have international experience. So that opportunity to, you know, obviously go and work in a, a even a, not even four star, five star. It's a super luxury, the, the Ritz-Carlton Tokyo and then work there, you know, just, I was able to get that experience, which propelled me to then come back to the DMV and, and work at the Mandarin and, and just have the opportunity to work for these global brands, which then brought me to Florida. And I worked with Disney on ice and um, that position was eliminated when the circus shuttered mm -hmm. and because the same company owned the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. And then I thought it was just a matter of pivoting. You know, I have all these communication skills and I think what people don't realize, especially when you're in this sort of niche <clears throat> industry, you know, when you're the, you know, for lack of a, not to be disrespectful, the PR girl on property, everything, you're, you're like the catch-all bucket. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the HR person says, can you write this newsletter for me? The GM says, I need you to write this speech for me. You know, can you go communicate to the guests for me? All these things that you're doing sort of, that you know that just falls under your purview whether you like it or not and and then you take a step back and go wow i've been doing executive communications i've been doing employee communications i've been doing internal communications you know all these things that now have names because you know in the beginning of my career those titles and those special you know specialized niches didn't exist and those have, in my opinion have sort of come about in just the last 3 to 5 6 years so I've been able to parlay what I've done and then you, you know work that now I went to Oracle right after um, uh, right after uh, failed and then ultimately because of COVID that position was eliminated and then I ended up at Hitachi which I, th I really believe that my experience in Japan played a good part of that because I understood the culture already, mm -hmm. which is a big hurdle when you're trying to explain and speak on behalf of a, a CEO about the Hitachi culture and, you know, and, and some of its, um, you know, where it takes some of its derivatives from because it's a 110 year old company. So yeah. steeped in history. Yeah. Yeah. No. And so that's really interesting. What you, you shared is that while you started in hospitality and you moved away from it and then you got back in hospitality that a lot of your responsibilities now have segmentation and areas of specialty within corporations and i think that's a really great takeaway so if there's any hoteliers that are listening and when you think about your background working for a hospitality company uh, even if you were at the the front desk or if even if you were in operations think about all of the exposure that yes. you have, right? I have a nephew that works at a resort in the Poconos and he started off by doing events and then he did marketing for events. And then he was responsible for the revenue management systems for the ski aspects of the mountain. And in all of those skills that he has learned, you know, he's talking to ownership groups now to help 
you know, expand and things. So I love what you just said, Linda, about the hospitality world, that there's a lot of people, sadly, and we'll get to this in a moment, about what you're doing to help people that are per perhaps displaced. But what you learn from a hospitality side has parlayed into an incredible career currently with Hitachi. Well, and you know, I think what's happening, for at least for me, I think, you know, I've been in my career now almost 30 years. It's been, it'll be 20, 28 years in May. So I think at some point you just become, a, you know, a subject matter expert or, you know, you come pro become proficient in what you're doing, which is communications. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really matter if I'm communicating on behalf of a hotel or a, a Disney on ice show or entertainment or, you know, technology or social innovation business, it, you really, you have acquired a skill that, you know, yes, there is a learning curve. I don't, I don't want to minimize or diminish that. Yeah. And, and sometimes the curve is, is, you know, steep and you really have to make a commitment to, you know, do I want to switch gears? I know a lot of people who don't, <clears throat> but for me, it was like, I'm going to, you know, expand my horizons. I'm going to learn a new skill. I'm going to meet new people in another industry. And so I've always taken that that plunge or made that extra effort but at the root of everything i do i'm still editing i'm still editing things i'm writing things you know i'm i'm authoring speeches i'm all those things that i did when i was doing it for a gm at a hotel when i was doing it for the owner of an agency all those things that have brought me to this point it's just like this community cumulative um, bucket of skills that I have, whether it's, you know, and you can almost just kind of hand it out to whichever industry, you you know, is up there. Can you talk a little bit about the, the, let me think here, the end user mm -hmm. consideration, the customer consideration, because I'm assuming when you are writing these things, there's an audience, whether right. it's stakeholders, whether it's investors, whether it's Wall Street, whether it's children, whether it's parents that want to take their children to a, formerly a Disney on ice show. Um, what is your consideration with regard to the reader, the customer, the listener? Well, I mean, I, I suppose it's all, it all depends on what your message is, you know, for us with social innovation business, we're basically writing for potential customers or partners who want to work with us to drive, you know, innovation in an, in an area that might need, you know, for instance, you know, we're, we're looking at um, vehicles that are probably entire um, fleets are going to EV vehicles. So we're writing to, you know, to, to either companies who want to partner with us to bring their fleet to, from from gas to EV, you know, so it all depends on who you're, who, what the topic is and what you're trying to accomplish. Obviously, yeah, with it's yeah. Disney on Ice, you're just trying to sell a ticket and entertain a child. And I think that's for me, the challenge or the, you know, kind of the, the accomplishment of when you when you achieved is like, you know, did I sell those tickets? Did I convince a partner to, to, to join us or, you know, did I express myself in a press release to explain what it is that we're trying to do? At least current, you know, with my current situation, social innovation business is still a relatively new, um, for lack of a better word, it's almost like being an, um, a uh, startup within an established company and we're just parlaying all that history, you know, to our benefit because we've been in this business for 110 years. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I think there's a challenge there because not only do you have to explain what it is, but then you're, you're trying to explain, you know, why you should partner with us because, you know, we, we can do, we can help you and this is how we can. Yeah. So, so, so 
Yeah, so it, it, I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm kind of summarizing for our listeners as well, that um, obviously you need to know what your message is from a content perspective, from a product right. perspective or a service perspective, but then you are really tailoring the message based on the audience member. So you are selling, Linda. Linda oh, Barton, yeah. Right? Even though, you know, you're PR communication, executive communication, you are really selling, but your sales tool happens to be written word, whether it's for you or for someone else to share. Right. And, you know, I just had this conversation with a friend of mine who's also a PR um, professional. And we were talking about, you know, when we were pitching media, when, you know, back in, you know, back in the day when PR was truly just earned media, you were selling stories to magazines and, and TV shows and, you know, to the media. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, when you were pitching them, you were trying to sell your client, your company, your hotel to that, to that, you know, that media outlet. So yeah, it is a sales pitch. Um, and, and, you know, this, it's, can I get you to cover me? Yes, I can. Okay. Then I've made that sale. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's not as monet, you can't monetize it as easily as I've just sold you a hundred room nights at 300, you know, at this much a, a per night. And, and now I've got a contract, but yeah, you, you know, when you're making that pitch, you are selling that client. Like I said, that hotel or that executive to be a speaker or your company to be a partner. So yeah, it is, a, it is a sales pitch. Yeah. And I never really thought about it that way. And Linda, as you had referenced, letting people know what social innovation business is. And I wanted to save this question for our listeners on the podcast, but can you explain to me, what does that mean? <laughs> Well, like as I was explaining with the EV fleet, so for yeah. instance, you've got um, companies who are looking to go from, uh, you know, this is just one example, to go from taking a regular fleet and now moving into EV. So we would help you with, okay, we've got all this, you know, this history of, uh, long history of manufacturing. And so we're going to help you, you know, we're going to help you find the trucks. But more than that, we're going to sell you a service so you know how to service them. We're, you know, create depots for you. And so it becomes taking something that already exists and sort of fine tuning it and moving it into the next iteration to, you know, provide, you know, economic and so societal and, and, you know, those kind of value to provide that value. So it, it, it is sort of kind of pie in the sky. If there's a problem, we're going to try to help you fix it, whether, you know, that's a smart city or if it's an EV vehicle fleet or, um, we've even, you know, just started working with a community in um, Orlando that is just trying to be sort of what I call kind of Jetson-like, which is funny because sometimes I say that and my peers don't know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That just ages me. But, you know, like, how can you make a smart city or a smart hospital? And so it, it is just kind of taking what exists and, and sort of fine-tuning it to make it better okay. with, with, and, with technology and social innovation. Okay, so, so um, when... when... And I think I'm, I'm getting so used to hearing social from a social media perspective. Hmm. And you're using this term social. Societal, yeah. Societal. So it is looking at things that exist, looking at how Hitachi's business or research or ideas or partners can help improve societal issues through innovation. Right, exactly. Wow, holy cow. Yeah. That's a so, massive, yeah, it's, that's a it's sort of, job, you know, it's, it's very idealistic, you know, like I said, if, if there's a problem and we can help solve it. So yeah. it's like, it's very fulfilling to see some of the, you know, the, and, and we're relatively 
we're calling it, you know, uh, social innovation business 2.0. So we're sort of new in the in the iteration. But yeah. when you think about the possibilities, the possibilities are endless. Yeah. So, so very Linda, what makes you so good in communications? And this is uh, not bragging, but just realistically, you are very, very good. What makes you so well, good? Thank you very much. Um, I like to think I'm well written and I'm well um, read. And I really, um, I know one of the questions later was about, you know, which book. And I think about myself. Wait, like, wait, wait. I, you, you're saying that some of the questions were provided in advance? No, it doesn't work. <laughs> no, no, that no, way. no, that wasn't it. Sorry. But when I think about, you know, what it is, I do, I'm an avarice reader. I'm, a, you know, I want, I, I think what makes me um, good at what I do is I'm top, I stay topical with everything that's going around me, okay. that's going around us. Um, but I, I think I'd like to, you know, I tend to stay true to what my, what it is I do. So, you know, I'm trying to parlay, you know, uh, put out an, a messaging. I'm trying to share, share content. I'm trying to, you know, make, I, cause I don't want the topic to be about me. I want it to be about my client, about my, my company. And I think there's, you know, trying to stay current with the technology, you know, with the social, social media, with all the, you know, the, the tools that are out uh, available to us. I think that that's one of the areas that serves me well is that I'm able to sort of roll with the progress that's become, that's uh, impacted my industry because the PR, the PR position that I, you know, that I aspired to have in 1992 out of college mm -hmm. is no, is almost sort of dead. Um, because the because of the advent of social media, because of the the decimate you know the number of of um, out media outlets that have been decimated, you know you don't have the 40, 50 glossy magazines that you're pitching anymore, and so you sort of have to re you know reinvent how it is what you do while still maintaining those skills. So I think that's every time it, well. that's really really important. And Linda, yeah. when you just shared that, it made me think of every time that I talk to a customer. I ask them questions for, for my speaking business. And if they are dealing with challenges of spreading culture for new employees that perhaps have never worked in a building for the last year and a half, how do you spread culture? How do you create a sense of teamwork for people that have never met? And that's just one example. And what I then try to do is I gather that content and then I'm going to come up with a presentational topic on that about building connectivity, right? It's it's this um, integrated accountability and connectivity that I'm going to pro provide. So it's somewhat similar, right? We're all selling, and we need to be knowledgeable on our craft. But what you also said is that it's not about you; it's about others, and that really is becoming a very common theme with the people that I'm asking and I'm selecting to be part of my podcast. That it is very difficult for them to speak about themselves. So my question to you was along the lines of what makes you successful? And then you gave me very tactical things. Well, I read a lot and I study a lot and I'm getting a lot of information. And okay, so the question is, let me rephrase it then. What drives you, right? Yes, you are out there. Yes, you're getting content. That's the task. But what is the driver, right? What is making you be so successful for almost 30 years in the public relations communications field, what drives you? Well, I'd have to say my passion. You know, I, I love helping people. I mean, if you can kind of see my background, uh, you've got the words always be kind. It's a mantra I live by. And 
you know, I think if, um, I don't want to, again, minimize what I do for Hitachi, yeah. but if I could rewrite someone's resume and help them get a job, I'd probably be more happy than if I wrote something for my boss without any edits the first time over. So I think there's a there's something in me that it's, it's one of those things that I think I've always wanted to help people. And, and so it drives me to see what is it can, that I can do that can make someone's life better or it's a very, I guess, an unselfish, um, uh, you know, as energy inside me that, that wants to help people at the end of the day. That's, that's my goal. And how did that become? How did it become? What, yes, was it, see, I'm going, I'm trying to go deeper, deeper, deeper. I know. Let me, Um, you you don't mind. No, I don't mind. I think it's interesting that I think the, the fact that I could, you know, when I, I see something and it's not well written or it's, I see people struggling. It's like, what can I do to help you? Yeah. Because and you so, can, so you have the ability to, and I love that, that answer. Why, why, and because you could, or because you can, but were you brought up that way? Or was it something always innate that you were always looking to do something to help others? Did your, did your family bring you up that way? Did your cousins, did your relatives yeah, well, I mean, I come from a very modest Hispanic family. We're hard, all hardworking, really honest. And so I think that was absolutely part of my upbringing. And, um, you know, never, my parents didn't ever say, yes, we want you to go to college and become successful. My parents just said, we want you to be honest people and hardworking. And if that means, <laughs> you know, one of, and one of you goes to college and the other one goes to trade school and the other one doesn't go at all, like we love you just the same, just be good people. Yeah. So I think that's one of those, you know, fortunate um, uh, residuals. And my parents just celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary. So oh um, it, uh, uh, the 12th of this month. So, you know, I think it's just one of a great um, benefit for me that we've had this solid family yeah. and a great upbringing. And, you know, they still embody all those um, traits that we were brought up on. Yeah, your directive was just be a good person. Yeah, just, you know, be hardworking and be a good person. I mean, I, you know, I remember when I told them and I'm, you know, I'm going to be very honest, like I never told anybody that I was flying to Tokyo for a week to, to interview because my thought was, if I didn't get this job, why even trouble them? You know, I, so I, what I did instead is I told them I, I was going to New York that I was going to New York and meeting people, you know, with Rich Carlton in New York and, um, and we'll see how it goes. So when I came back with a job offer, I thought, oh, wow, I'm going to have to now tell my parents who originally thought that I was going to take a position in Texas because yeah. um, I had been I had been offered a job in Texas. And I came back, so, well, I'm not going to Texas. I'm going to Tokyo. And I, I have to say, I have to give it to my parents, you know, again, very, you know, very um, sort of conservative, not conservative, but you know, just very um, simple, um, proper Hispanic family. Um, they n- not once, not once ever, at least to me, did they ever say, we think you're crazy and <laughs> don't go. They might've had that conversation amongst, you know, between themselves about, oh my God, this young daughter of ours, what is she doing? But they never poo-pooed what I was doing because I don't think they wanted to minimize how excited I was. And I remember my mom said like, this is the best, right? This Ritz Carlton is the best. And I, at the time, yes, I said <laughs> this, this was the best. 
And so they just were happy for me and just sort of just like, okay, so are we never going to talk to you? I mean, this was, you know, the beginning of Skype and things. And, you know, we, we talked every day, thanks to technology, but, you know, I'm sure as, as, as scary as it was for me to physically go, it was scary for them to let me go. Sure, sure. So, and, and, and let's and I do want to talk about that. And also, at least I knew that you were going to Tokyo. All right. Yeah, so, you knew. <laughs> right, so, so you were in the know, Bart. Yeah, they could always reach out to the recruiter because I knew Linda was flying to Tokyo yeah. for the interview. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but if we can talk a little bit about uh, one, I was so like I followed your journey. Obviously, I. I not only had, I don't want to say a vested interest, but a personal vested interest because I adore you and I liked you from day one with the interview, but I, I also stayed part of your journey. Can you tell me a little bit about the communication tools, Chatty Girl, that you use to share your experiences when you were over in, um, in Tokyo? Sure. So I do. You, I think you still get it, right? You, still... you know, for some reason, I don't. I need to get resubscribed. Oh, okay. So yeah. when I moved to Japan, you know, again, keeping in mind smartphones were, you know, barely coming, you know, not quite, you know, as prevalent as they are now. And in Japan, even less so. But when I got there, people still had flip phones in Japan. Um, and like I said, Skype was sort of coming into its own. Twitter was really not very established. So and I never did the MySpace thing. So Facebook was, you know, was finally coming on online, but I started, a, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, a blog, I just call them updates. And I would send an update, you know, as, as, as often as I thought something interesting was happening and then ultimately became on a monthly basis. And I'd send out these and I, I still send them out to this day. So it's, it started September of 2008. Oh. And now 13 years later, I still send them out. And when I left Japan, I remember actually sending out my last um, missive, so to speak, from Japan saying, this is it, you know, I'm leaving, you've all been amazing and, you know, engaged readers, but I don't know if I'm going to be very interesting once I hit America, <laughs> once I hit, you know, U.S. soil again, but if you want to stay with me, just reply. And so I got on a plane and I landed in, you know, California and I just remember the overwhelming response. And I think there's about still about 120, 30 people on that list. And, you know, ultimately I sort of kind of whittled it down to maybe every other month. But when I am late, I actually get people emailing me going, well, where's our, ne our next update? So it's very, um, it's really reassuring and heartwarming that people are still engaged with what I'm, you know, what I'm doing and, yeah, some, I, sometimes I read them and I'm just like, you know, this, this was some very interesting, well, I, I tend to think that my missives from Japan were a little bit more interesting, but um, I've, you know, I've moved to Florida or moved to the DMV after Japan, then I moved to Florida, met my husband on match.com, went on one date, we've been together ever since. Mm. So I guess there's been stories to tell, you know, along the way, but um, yeah, yeah, it's just been really great. Yeah, and it's it's fun, Linda, because you're authentic. And what I liked about your communications from Japan is that you were not braggadocious. You were talking about your vulnerability, what was different, what was unique, and it almost made me feel like I was able to experience, I mean, because of your communication skills, like I could almost envision myself being there and doing it right next to you, which I just think, obviously, that credits to your writing and your communication skills. I just thought it was brilliant. So the experience in Japan, 
you know, most people don't accept jobs to work internationally. And I know when we were talking previous to the official podcast, you were just talking that it was one of the most remarkable experiences. Um, can you share the benefit of that experience? So most people don't accept challenges and travel internationally. What would the number one benefit be for others to be able to experience an international destination? What would you say? It's just the culture. It's learning another culture and being um, uncomfortable. You know, I was uncomfortable there for probably, you know, really uncomfortable for probably the first three months. Um, I find my, found myself saying, are you kidding me? You know, many times. And I, and I never, I never sought to necessarily understand it all because I was sort of like, you know, I was a guest there. And so it wasn't important for me to um, demystify any of these cultures. You know, I just I just sort of became um, a, a devotee of them, I suppose. It's like, I'm not going to change it. So I might as well absorb it and love it and, and really, you know, enjoy the fact that I could walk the streets at one in the morning and be absolutely 100% safe, which I wouldn't have been able to say that, you know, in the streets of San Francisco or Los Angeles or, you know, anywhere else I had lived. Um, and, you know, the people were going to always be kind. They were going to be, you know, very, uh, they weren't going to be unruly on a train. It was the cleanest train you'd ever been on, you know, and it probably was even amplified by the fact that I worked in hospitality. So now you take this lovely culture mm -hmm. and then ramp it up because now you've got these lovely people working in this, within this lovely culture and they're, they're hospitable and, you know, they want to help you serve. So I was in an especially enviable situation because if I was, you know, at all in a bind, I had access really to a 24 hour concierge. Right. So when I was out, you know, traversing Tokyo and I would find myself stuck, I would just call the, the concierge desk and say, you know, Simosin, I'm stuck. Tell, you know, tell this person I'm looking for aloe vera or something uh -huh. you know, oddball. Oh, you know, okay. And then they would tell their, and, and I mean, that's not your typical situation if you're just going to go and work or just visit, you know, Japan. So I benefited from all that and um, just, you know, being a part of Ritz Carlton and then being able to say, I work at the Ritz Carlton, there was a high, high esteem um, for luxury brands there The the Japanese really regard, you know, regard the Ritz Carlton culture so highly. So, you know, there was that added benefit, but I mean, I think the things that, that I brought back with me were, you know, just the kindness, the culture, the, the, the presentation skills, the things that they do, you know, that it's not necessarily what the gift is, it's what, how it's presented. Um, you know, for the longest time, I never even wore my shoes in my house anymore. You know, that was just something you never did. And you just became, um, you know, it just became ingrained in you. And when I came back, um, and I ended up in the DMV. So, you know, living in DC was different. I hadn't done that either. But I remember going to a Target and, and having for what I think was the one and only anxiety attack I've ever had mm. because people were loud mm -hmm. and they were bickering. And I, you know, I was so just, I was not used to that anymore. Yeah. So it probably took me a good six months to, even though I had only been away for two and a half years, it probably took me a good six months to integrate myself back into my culture mm -hmm. and things that I loved when I left, like, you know, bad for me, Taco Bell or all those things that I, you know, I was so used to, I hated all that. It mm -hmm. took me forever to eat those foods again and, and really, you know, enjoy them and stuff. So 
it had a very lasting impression. It made a very lasting impression on me just because it is just a very gracious and, and loving, you know, uh, uh, culture and yeah. just so proper. No, and, and I mean, and what a, what a wonderful experience for you, mm-hmm. especially as you're talking about gracious hospitality and that's what you exude doing things for others. And I'll never forget my first trip. And this was a long time ago to Tokyo. Uh, I was staying at a hotel, luxury hotel, and I was waiting for my colleagues and I was finishing a banana and I had the peel and I was looking in the lobby area. Where's the trash cans? Where's the trash cans? And I could not see one visibly. And I don't know if that's a cultural thing to hide them, but then a very lovely um, attendant came running over and she presented her hands like this asking me to put my banana peel banana peel into her hands and I wouldn't do it so her next thought was she ran behind a desk got a trash can and brought it out to me so I could do it and and I just thought one embarrassed me because you know it's my trash let me throw it away but that's obviously the part of the culture and hospitality in different places about wanting to serve above and yeah. beyond wanting to it's serve. A, it really is a level of service that is, you know, I, I don't know of any, and I've traveled extensively globally. I, I, there is a level of service in Japan that you just is unmatched. It is just this, it's really impressive. And if nothing else, like my husband's never been, and we had plans, uh, you know, like everybody else did last year that just got, you know, decimated but you know I told them the things that you will be most amazed is the the level of service and the quality of food and you know just and just the cleanliness of everything you know it it was I remember coming back and and then having to go to New York um, for business and just being on the metro and just oh I was such a snob like oh this metro different right different so different so dirty so noisy people talking yeah it was it was again an eye-opener All right. Well, Linda, I really appreciate this input so far. And last question I want to ask for you, uh, ask of you rather, you had shared that some of the positions that you have worked in in your career were eliminated. So I think you had referenced four different times where you you lost your position. And I personally have been through several situations where I was losing my role or I had to tell my team they were losing their position. So it's never easy. It's never easy. In light of what's been happening with the pandemic and your resources, one, I want to talk about what advice would you have for individuals that either have been displaced, lost their job, lost hours, reduced hours? What advice would you share with them? Okay, so I just to be very specific, I've lost four jobs in the last 14 years. So the first 14 years of my career was, you know, pretty great. Um, but not to not to say that the last 14 have not because with like I said before with every single layoff I've been presented with either a new opportunity you know the ability to move to another country the ability to make you know a a little bit better income so I, I I truly believe that I know it's cliche that everything happens for a reason but when it happens it's hurtful it's really hard you know for someone to tell you um, for you to, to make sense of the fact that your skills are not needed there, whether you, un, like in every single case, whether it was an economic, you know, economically driven decision, um, I saw the business decision, the business reasons. I understood that. I'm savvy enough to understand why there need to, you know, there's a duplication of efforts or skills. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I, 
I appreciated that, but it still doesn't make it any easier. And again, you know, it hurts, right. And then having lost another job, you know, in the middle of the pandemic last year in June, excuse me. <clears throat> so I think, I think what I would just tell anybody is, you know, try not to internalize it very much. It's really not your, it, you know, it's really not about you. It's about either somebody planned poorly, somebody, you know, or, you know, somebody just, you know, they, they, a company can't afford to keep you on because of, you know, uh, you know, a pandemic has just ravaged their business, like with the entertainment or hospitality industries. Um, it's really not about your skills. And so you need to, you really need to be confident in your abilities to, to pick yourself up and to go look for a job. And I'm one of those people that when I'm looking for a job, it's my job. I, I'm not a casual looker. You know, I devote six or seven hours a day to looking for jobs and I'm intent, you know, I'm very driven and, and specific about it. And if you are sort of, for lack of a better word, half-assing it, you will get back what you're giving in. So if, if you're going to be on the job search, be passionate and intent about it. Um, so, use, yeah. use your networks, um, use them, use them, use them. And I'm one of the big you know, proponents of you, the time to network isn't when you need something. The time to network is every single day because you can meet someone in the grocery store. And I'm not just saying stay on your computer, you know, and, and chat with people on LinkedIn. I'm saying get out in your community because you don't know if the person standing in front of you at the grocery store might be a hiring manager. I mean, you just never know. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I give an example. Um, I, I just gave this example to a friend the other day that um, I was on a plane flying who knows where when I worked at Feld and uh, sat in a, a, you know, a three seat row and the middle seat was empty. So now I have this, you know, ability to chat with the aisle mate and comes out what I do. And it turns out he and his son love Supercross. And I was like, well, you know, if, if you can trust me with your credit card, I can help you get tickets, if not free, then discounted tickets. And I said, sure, here's my, you know, here's my business card. And, and people say, why did you do that? Because I can because I could and I can, and it took me less than five minutes. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was saying here, move into my house and I'll feed you for a month. It wasn't that much of an extension of what, you know, what I was doing. It was a simple gesture. So I helped him multiple times and I never minded it because it was five minutes out of my life. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately he called me and he asked me and I said, I hate to tell you this, but I lost my job. I'm not there anymore. Mm. And he, he, he said this, he said, I really am not sure what you do, but I'm going to call my HR manager right now and have her call you and see if there's anything for you at my company. Wow. And without hesitation, without any hesitation at all. Yeah. And he did exactly what he said he was going to do. And ultimately there wasn't anything there, but what, can you imagine if there was yeah. like, that would have just been awesome. Right. I would yeah. have gotten a job from just helping a guy with a, a super cross ticket. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just one of those people that just thinks that you need to, you need to always, you know, be networking because yeah. you just never know when you're going to need someone's help. Right. And you, and you put good out there. So my takeaways are that it's okay to be hurt. It's okay. Don't take it personally. Right. It's, it's not your fault. And I, I hate this term because I was hearing this from a lot of my hospitality friends that they were called into an office and they were told that they were redundant. And I did a presentation right before Christmas um, last year that was called You Are Remarkable, Not Redundant. And I had never heard that term redundant. I actually needed to look it up. It's a very British term. Okay. And it's, you know, the duplication of efforts. We don't need two people or, you know, we no longer need your job. It's redundant. And I didn't want people to feel 
that they were redundant. Your job perhaps was redundant, but right. you are remarkable. You have done um, some incredible things in helping other people find jobs. Can you talk final question and final commentary about the Facebook group that you created? And if there is anyone that is listening, that is looking for different opportunities, or they know of someone that's looking for opportunities, would you mind sharing a little bit more about the details on that Facebook group? Because I think it's, that is remarkable. Sure. So um, on March 22nd, actually just celebrated the year of that Facebook group launching is a Facebook group called Friends Helping Friends Find Work. And um, it actually came two days. The, the launch of that page came two days after 1900 of my former colleagues at Feld Entertainment were let go and let go in a very just kind of cutthroat, um, very hard way. Scripted dehumanizing, perhaps? Well, yes, it's, it's just rather sudden. So for instance, if, if you had, you know, 25 years of service, you got the exact same conversation that someone who was there for, six, you know, two months. Wow. So it was abrupt. It was, you know, it was, it was devastating for so many of these people that I had worked with. And I knew, I knew what they were going through because this exact same thing had happened to me when the circus was shuttered. And so I felt the need to, to try to help them because I had been in their exact shoes. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, just people saying, well, gosh, I don't have a resume. I don't have a computer. I don't, how do I file for unemployment? And all these questions kept populating from different people on my Facebook feed. And I thought there needs to be a central depository for all this information so that we're not having to repeat over and over again. Cause you know, you want to try to help as many people as possible. So um, I just, I was in the shower and I thought I'm how, what can I do? How can I, how can I, you know, create a space? And um, I, and then, you know, I think the fact that I'm, a journalist or communications person, I kind of fancy the alliteration and I was like, friends, what, but what is it? It's friends helping friends find work. Like that's really what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I've always done that. I always thought, you know, maybe I missed my calling and I should have been a recruiter because I've made so many connections just like, Hey, I heard so-and-so was looking for a job. You need to call my friend over at so-and-so, you know, like putting people together is, is really has been something that I've done, you know, for many, many years. So this was just another opportunity to do that in a more formal, you know, kind of established way. And the page, you know, initially was a little bit slow to start, but, and I, I think I thought like most people that six months, you know, into 2020, everything would sort of rebound and we'd be back to normal. And, and I'm actually receiving more um, requests to be a part of the page in 2021 than I had, than I did in the last part of 2020. So the reality is, is that people still are not, you know, employed again, um, and they still need the support. And I'm, you know, not to take away from a lot of other people on Facebook that, I mean, on LinkedIn that are doing similar sort of efforts, you know, in that regard, but, you know, it, it really does take a village. And I think most people, when you do a job search, it, you know, at least it used to be a very singular sort of quiet thing, you know, you were secretly looking for a new job while you were at your old job. And, mm -hmm. you know, you, you didn't really, you know, crowdsource for your career. And, but, you know, the other piece of advice, if I didn't say it earlier, is if people want to help you, let them, Yes. you know, if you, if ask people for help, if they can, and if they can help you, you know, the recipient should help you. 
And if they don't want to help you, then maybe they were not your friend or whatever. But they were brought up the same way as you. Yeah, though, they right? were not brought up in the Beltran house, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I just think that even now. So you know, I started the page. I was gainfully employed. I lost my job. Con you know, continued with the page because I felt you know not obligated, but passionate about continuing to source and fuel you know the the postings, and then continue to do that. You know, now that I'm employed again, but. I'm I'm so um, buoyed and just really proud of the fact that we've got new people that are posting regularly, that new jobs are coming in, and it's it's everything. It's jobs from physical labor, you know, in Chicago, to VP positions in you know in um, sports management, and I mean it's just it's a wide ranging um, uh, plethora of of. Uh, positions and people who are engaging with each other and there's obviously there's no cost so you know you're just kind of it really is just an altruistic I want to try to help you find work and if I post something that you that you then see and, and get hired from you know then we just we just celebrate because there's you know there isn't a commission we're just really happy that it that it works so. and it's truly just friends helping friends yeah. Right. Friends helping friends find work. So is it a private group? Do they need to be invited? Do they need to send a request? Yeah, they just need to. I mean, when I started, obviously, I invited a handful of people from my Facebook network. But now if you just go on, find the group and then request, you know, there's a handful yeah. of questions. Are you a seeker? Are you a job provider? Answer those questions. And then I, you know, myself or my other admin will let you in. So awesome. and it's yeah. uh, promo, promo code. Most people don't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Use promo code Bart A. Berkey. Yeah. For, no, so it's a it's a free service. And Linda, I just think it's amazing. I looked at it the other day. Um, I forwarded it to a few friends of mine. Um, and I think that they're going to benefit. And as you said, that it's a little bit of everything. There was one commentary. There was a company that was looking for a stunt, stunt work. Right. And there was a woman that replied, I don't know if I'm if I'm qualified for it, but it's something that I've always wanted to do. And I believe they're now having dialogue. So it is incredible. It is so gracious that you're doing that. Um, I'm so proud to be able to know you keep on doing phenomenal work. You truly epitomize doing what most people don't do. And last question, Linda, if people want to connect with you or find you, what is the best way? Yeah, so LinkedIn is usually the best way. And then, you know, just to also, I make this offer to everybody um, when I when I see them, you know, I the last question is, is there anything I can do to help you? I um, am happy to give people a second read on their resume, a, you know, edit something. Um, I, I think it's a skill that I have that I will gladly share with others. Um, I'd love to say that I could turn it around in 24 hours, but the reality is, is sometimes it's not that quick. But, um, you know, if I can help you in that regard, if you need a second read on your resume or some suggestions, I'm not the ultimate authority, but I've seen and read over probably 100 resumes in the last year that I've um, either edited or, re, you know, sort of rejiggered. So um, I'm happy to do that for people. And the best way to reach me is actually Linda at chattygirlpr.com. Linda so, at chattygirlpr.com. And you realize that you just shared this with 7.1 million listeners. Oh, that's so, awesome. So get ready for <laughs> at least 3 million resumes coming your way. Soon well, we'll have 7.1 million listeners. <laughs> now, well, Linda, again, thank you. Thank you so much. You have been, again, a wonderful friend, a great supporter of most people don't, of my speaking career, and just that you continue to do so much to help others. Um, 
very grateful, right? The world needs more people like you. And, and you are kind, you. and I'm so happy to be a part of this and, you know, only continued success to you, Bart. Thank oh, you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Linda.